0: Monday, September 18th, the first day of school. Take two. Mom drove me into Tangerine this morning at 7.30. We drove past the lime green houses and the citrus packing plant. We passed through a small downtown area, then pulled up to a concrete building that looked like a block-long post office. We parked across the street, and I reminded her, I'll be at soccer practice until five, I hope. I hope so, too, Mom replied. Look, I really should go in with you this morning. There must be transfer forms for me to sign. No, there aren't any forms for you to sign. All I need is my computerized class schedule from Lake Windsor Middle. No forms, no mothers. Mom was staring across the street and not liking what she saw. There were two groups of guys karate kicking at each other outside the building. There were larger groups too, menacing looking gangs. Just standing around, watching the karate kickers go at it. Mom said, look at that. Why isn't this area being supervised? Hey, it's no big deal. That's just what some guys do, Mom. At the entrance to the school, what kind of first impression is that? They do that wherever they are. Lighten up. I'll see you at five. Yeah, if you live. I walked around the karate kickers and the gangsters and pushed open the heavy wooden door. I saw that I could go straight toward the first floor classrooms, or I could climb the stairs on the left toward what seemed to be the office. I went left and started up the worn marble stairs, thinking how unusual it was to find stairs like these in Florida. For that matter, the whole building was unusual. I hadn't been on a third floor of anything since we moved here. The school's office was located at the top of the first flight. The principal herself was standing just inside the glass doors. She walked right up to me and said, I'm Dr. Johnson. Who are you? Paul Fisher, ma'am. And you're from Lake Windsor Middle School, I presume? Yes, ma'am. She took my schedule from me, read it carefully. Then she turned around and called into one of the side offices. Teresa, come out here and take this one. A small, skinny girl with brown hair tied back in a ponytail came out from a of the side room. Dr. Johnson said, this is Paul Fisher. Paul, this is Teresa Cruz. She'll be your escort for your first day at Tangerine Middle School. She'll be your escort for your second day, too, if you want. After that, you'll be responsible for getting around on your own. But Teresa will continue to be a resource person for you for any questions that you might have. I said, all right, thank you, ma'am. I paused. Didn't know why. I just felt I had to say it. I said, It's nice to be here. Dr. Johnson gave me a huge smile. Well, it's nice to have you here. It was a pretty much downhill after that. Therese Cruz had very little, or nothing, to say. I followed her silently from class to class. She would introduce me quietly to each teacher, and we would sit together. I tell you, it was eerie, like a science fiction story, like I had entered some kind of mirror universe. The subjects in the class times were exactly the same as in Lake Windsor Middle, but the rooms and the people are completely different. Tangerine Middle is a tougher school, no doubt about it. I got real nervous whenever we went out into the hall. If anything's going to happen to you at school like this, it's going to happen in the hall. One big guy took his forearm and swatted me out of the way like I was some kind of a gnat. But I didn't take it personally. I just kept my head down, followed Teresa, and went where I was supposed to go. My classes were all on the second floor. Basically, the third floor is entirely the sixth grade. The second floor is the seventh grade. And the first floor is the eighth grade, with few exceptions. The first floor also has the cafetorium, which obviously doubles as a cafeteria and the auditorium. It's pretty gross. The cafetorium has a kitchen at the near end and a stage at the far end. In between, a rows of wooden tables with wooden folding chairs. It's loud in there, like in some old prison movie. Teresa stayed with me when we passed through the lunch line in the cafetorium. She even sat down with me to eat. To eat, but not to talk. I tried to get the lowdown on some of my new teachers, the inside stuff, but Teresa wasn't cooperating. I'd say something like, so how's this Miss Potter for science? And she'd say, pretty good. How's Mr. Scott? Pretty good. And so on. I finally gave up and ate my lunch, and afterwards I tried with the question that meant the most to me. Do you know anything about the soccer team? Teresa pulled back a little and actually looked at me surprised. She nodded and said, oh yeah, yeah, my brother Tino's plays on the team. Yeah, he's an eighth grader? No, he's my twin brother. He's in seventh grade, too. Oh? Well, I was thinking about going out to practice today to see if I could get on the team. Teresa thought about this. Yeah, you could do that. Tina won't be there today, though. He's still suspended. Victor, Hernando, none of those guys will be there today. But I guess they'll still have practice. I knew the answer to the next question, but I asked it anyway. Why won't any of them be there? Oh, they got in some trouble over at the carnival. Miss Bright grabbed a whole bunch of them while they were sitting there here eating lunch. She brought them up to Dr. Johnson and they all got suspended for three days. So they'll be back tomorrow? Yeah. Tino, Victor, Hernando, all those guys. And they're all starters. They're who? They're starting players on the soccer team? Teresa answered with pride. Oh yeah, Victor. He's kind of like the star. Victor and Maya, they're the two like the two stars, you know? They score most of the goals. Tino scored two goals last year. I think Victor scored 16 and Maya scored 15. They both made the all-county team. And who's the goaltender? The goalies, Chandra Thomas. Chandra? That's a girl, right? Yeah, Chandra's a girl. Maya's a girl, too. What? Don't you have a boys' team and a girls' team? No, there's only one team. Boys, girls. They both can play on it. They're mostly boys. But some of the girls are good. they played in the Y League all their their lives and stuff. Maya learned to play over in England. That's why she's so good. I was trying hard to process this information. I said again, so Chandra's a girl? Teresa seemed to be enjoying this. Oh yeah, there's four girls. Chandra, Maya, Maya's cousin Nita, and Dolly. They're all on the team. Then there's Tino, Victor, Fernando, and about 10 other guys. They're good. They were second in the county last year. After lunch, we went back to our routine, with Teresa only speaking when she introduced me to a teacher. But at least we had broken the ice. I was starting to get the picture of this new place, and I was glad I had come here. I'd say the most obvious difference between my new school and my old one is this. At Tangerine Middle, the minorities are the majority. I have no problem with that. I've always felt like a minority because of my eyes. The next most obvious difference is the building itself. It's old. I have no problem with that either, except it has a disinfectant smell. kind of gagged you. The textbooks are old too, really old, and they have stuff written in them. The teachers seem to have adjusted to this by not using them much. A couple of teachers have talked about class projects and group projects that are due. I guess I'll find out about those soon enough. I also figured out why Teresa was assigned to be my guide. We have exactly the same schedule, mostly advanced classes. My day went smoothly enough until seventh period when I had an unpleasant surprise. My language arts teacher is Mrs. Murrow. Get this, Mrs. Murrow is married to Mr. Murrow, the head of guidance at Lake Windsor Middle. I'm going to work hard at not being noticed in that class. I don't want to risk his hearing my name and announcing, that kid's handicapped, he needs an IEP. After the bell rang. Teresa and I walked downstairs and out the back door. To the left, behind a baseball backstop, was a green scoreboard. Across the top was written, Tangerine Middle School, home of the War Eagles. We crossed over the bus lanes and headed down to a soccer field that was circled by an asphalt running track. I could see a mixed group of girls and boys taking turns shooting the ball at a big, tall girl in the goal. I said, that's Chandra, right? Yeah, and the gold—that's Chandra. Who are those other girls? Who you mean, the ones standing together? Yeah, that's Maya and Nita. Maya's the tall one; they're cousins. They're always hanging out together. And who's the other big girl? That's Dolly. Dolly Elias. Her brother Ignazio was the captain last year. Teresa pointed at her and called, "What's up, Dolly?" It was the first time I'd heard her raise her voice. Dolly waved back. Is she your friend? Yeah, she rides home with Luis and. Tino and me. Is Luis on the team, too? No, no. Luis is, a gr- is grown up. He's our big brother. He comes and picks us all up after practice. He picks up Hernando and Victor, too. We the field in front of Dolly, just as she drove a perfect corner kick five feet off the ground. Teresa walked me up to a tall, powerful-looking woman in a maroon warm-up suit. She said, Miss Bright, this is Paul Fisher from Lake Windsor Middle School. He wants to play on your soccer team. Ms. Bright had to look down to meet my eyes, she said, How long have you been going? How long are you going to be with us, Paul? Three months, ma'am, at least through the soccer season. Uh-huh. Have you played soccer before? Oh, oh yes, ma'am. All my life, I was a starting goalie for my last school back in Houston. Uh-huh. Well, let me explain something to you right from the jump street. You can be on my team but you're not going to take the place of one of my starting players and then go back to your Lake Windsor Middle School. That's not going to happen. If you want to play backup to one of my starting players, then I'll be glad to have you. Yes, ma'am, that's what I want to do. Good. need a backup in goal. Grab that red shirt and go down on the far end. We're about to start the scrimmage. Yes, ma'am. I ran down to the far goal, set my bag down, Pulled on my protective gear with half the starters missing. The scrimmage was kind of a joke. I only touched the ball once. Needless to say, no one scored on me. Chandra had the same kind of game down on her end. I can't describe how great it feels to have another chance. Nothing, nothing at all is going to bother me. I'll play backup to Chandra Thomas and be happy about it. Goalies get hurt a lot. They need backups more than anybody else. I've been hurt had my hand stepped on, had the wind knocked out of me, and somebody had to fill in for me. It happens all the time. I'll get into some games, no question about that. Near the end of practice, I noticed a familiar truck pull up. It was the same pickup that I'd seen at the carnival, the vintage green one with Tomas Cruz Groves, Tangerine, Florida, written on the side. A guy in jeans with a plaid work shirt got out and walked over to Teresa. He walked with a bad limp. This had to be her brother, Luis. He had the same dark brown hair and eyes as Teresa. His head and hands seemed very large, even from where I was standing. After practice, Teresa and Dolly climbed into the front of the truck with him and drove away. I gathered up my gear, walked back into the building alone, just as I was about to push through the wooden front door. I heard, there you are, honey. I turned and saw mom coming down the stairs from the second floor office. I watched her until she put her arm around my shoulder and started to lead me out. I had a panicked feeling, like my heart stopped had stopped beating. But I managed to ask quietly, Mom, what were you doing up there? We crossed the road and reached our car before she replied. Dr. Johnson's secretary called me today, Mr. Know-it-all. It turns out you do need your paperwork from Lake Windsor Middle School in order to transfer here. My heart began to ache. My paperwork? That's right. I had to drive up to Lake Windsor and get it. Can't imagine the chaos in that office. Mom, who did you talk to? Mr. Murrow, of course. He gave me your file, and I delivered it here. Now you're official. Mom unlocked the doors, and we both climbed in. I looked at her angrily. I'm officially what? A student at Tangerine Middle School? A visually impaired student? An IEP student? No, nothing of the kind. I closed my eyes in despair. So what happens when the head of guidance here opens my files and sees that my IEP? Nothing happens, Paul. There is no IEP in your file. Mom started the car and put it in gear. As we U-turned in the front of the school, she added very carefully, your IEP form disappeared somewhere between Lake Windsor and here. It's it's the kind of thing we should probably never mention again. We rode in silence back through the downtown area to the highway. I finally said, maybe it was an Osprey. What? Maybe an Osprey got a hold of it you talk about? You know, my IEP. Maybe it's feathering some osprey nest right now. Mom finally got the joke and smiled. That would be a nice decorating touch. Yeah, inconsistent with the scheme of the other nests, but a nice touch. Yeah, something like that. As we headed west on Route 22, I began to feel a real sense of hope about Tangerine Middle School. After all, it was great luck getting Teresa as a guide, getting mom to ditch her pa- my paperwork was beyond luck. It was another miracle. Things actually seem to be going my way. Finally, it's the Paul Fisher soccer dream. I wonder if Eric feels that way about his life here. But I wonder, too, if Mike Costello felt that way about his when he was leaning against that goalpost. Tuesday, September 19th, I followed Teresa around all morning again. Another big kid, a different one, banged me into a locker. Teresa didn't pay any attention to it, so I tried not to either. I followed her into the lunchroom again, and we sat down at the same table as yesterday. Everything seemed to be cool, but then everything got uncool real fast. A bunch of guys came over. I recognized a few of them from the carnival, their leader. A stocky guy with curly hair and really oily skin said to Teresa, What's he doing here? She said, this is the one I told you about, the one who wants to play on your soccer team. The leader eyeballed me and snorted, you? You think you can play on my team? What do you think this is, like Windsor Middle School? You think we gotta take every chump who shows up? You think because your mommy buys you a jock strap, you're automatically on my team? I looked at him calmly. Really didn't know if he was putting me on or if he meant what he was saying. He looked like he was about to dump his lunch tray on my head. Teresa spoke up. Chill out, Victor. I'm trying to eat. Victor took the seat directly across from me in my face. He continued. Lake Windsor, that team's a joke. Man, we're going to bust you up this year. You got that big Italian kid, right? Thinks he's bad. He's a joke, man. He's nothing. And the rest of you guys, that makes you less than nothing. Less than zero. That's you, Lake Windsor, man. Less than zero. You're a negative integer. He turned to one of the other guys and slapped hands with him. Victor then turned his attention to his hamburger, took a big bite. I figured he wasn't really serious. He was just messing with me. I decided to take a chance. I said, hey, what do you expect? we play in a sinkhole. Victor shot an angry look at me, but then he started laughing, nearly choking on his burger. The other guys took their cue from him and started laughing too. That's right, man. Crawled out of some sinkhole. That's right. Took a drink of soda. Hey, what's that big kid's name? Gino. Right, Gino. Hey, Tino, they got a Gino. We got a Tino. Victor reached across, high-fived with Teresa's twin brother, and went on. Heard about your Gino. You ever heard about me? You ever hear of Victor Guzman? Yeah, I heard about you. I heard you scored 16 goals last year. I heard you were all counting. Victor took another bite and said, You heard right. Everybody was quiet after that. So I said, I worked out with the team yesterday. Fool, you didn't work out with the team. The team wasn't there yesterday. I looked at Teresa. I decided to play dumb. Right, right. Where were you guys? Victor snorted. Tell him where we were, Tino. Tino answered to nobody in particular. We were in jail. They put us in the vandalism jail. My stomach suddenly nodded up. I said, what? They put you guys in a jail cell? Tino looked at me like I had just said the stupidest thing he had ever heard, and I was the biggest loser he had ever met. Another kid at the table said, yeah, I heard you guys got busted. What was up with that? Tino answered, self defense man. Victor laughed through a mouthful of hamburger. He swallowed and said, right, right, self defense. Me and Hernando saw the whole thing. Hernando added self defense man all the way. Victor continued. Did you go to the freak show? At the carnival, did you see the dude with the big scar down his cheek and a big axe in his hand? Axe man was his name. Me and Hernando are reading all about that guy on the sign. He chopped people up, right? Hernando filled in. He chopped a whole bunch of people up right a long time ago. Right. So you're reading about him. And Tino comes around the corner real fast and gets scared. Scared? No way, Tino protested. So he screams. And jumps up in the air and karate kicks this Axe Man dude right in the stomach, right? And Axe Man snaps in half. Right in half, man, said Hernando. He's lying over, all over the floor. So we start yelling, You killed Axe Man. You killed Axe Man. Let's get out of here. And we all run out of that place. Victor, Tino, Hernando start rollicking with laughter, reliving the moment. My stomach started to nod again. I said, So, how did you get busted? Victor stopped laughing. How did we get busted? He glared at Tino. Stupid Tino here. Tino snapped at him Shut up, fool. You shut up. He's carrying the soccer ball around all day, showing off, you know, like he's got something to show off. I told you to shut up. Yeah, you told me that. So, they call up Betty Bright and they tell her that it was soccer players that trashed the axe man. She knows right away who it was, so she nails us. The conversation soon turned to things that I didn't know about. I concentrated on my lunch, thinking, maybe you actually got away with ratting out these guys. I certainly hope so. As soon as I got to practice in the afternoon, I could tell that things were different. Victor Guzman is the leader out there. Everybody accepts that. He spurs on the offense all the time. He talks trash to the defense all the time. He wants the ball all the time. Lake Windsor Middle had about 30 kids on its team. Tangerine Middle had 15. I make 16. They don't even have enough players for two scrimmage teams. The starting front line plays against the starting defense. The other four kids play behind the front line, feeding them the ball. I was in the far goal again. I may as well have been in Houston. I never touched the ball until right before the end of practice when the coach called Chandra over to talk to her. The coach yelled at the end of my my end of the field you guy paul fisher get up there get in goal i sprinted up took my place at the goal line so far the front line had scored four times but chandra had made about 15 saves some of them really impressive now it was my turn to face the starters victor maya and tino are the main strikers they play in the middle of the front line nita and a kid they called henry d Lay out in, on the wings, Victor started in on me right away. Paul Fisher, hey fisherman, you think this is a trout season here or something? You think you're in some kind of tuna catching tournament here? Some of the others started laughing. You're gonna be wearing those glasses on the other side of your head if you think that this ain't no Lake Windsor Middle School sucker. You're facing the War Eagles now. Need to set the ball up in the corner. She lofted a corner kick into the center, center to Maya who controlled it and passed it along the ground to Victor. Victor caught it in a full stride and drove the shot high and hard toward the goal. Saw it coming all the way. I sprang off my heels forward and to the left. The ball stuck in my outstretched hands like they were Velcro. I landed flat on the ground, fully extended, holding onto the ball. A great save. I looked over to check Betty Bright's reaction. She had her head down, talking earnestly to Chandra. She had missed the whole thing. Suddenly, Wham! A foot came slicing in front of my face, driving the ball out of my hands and into the goal. Victor pumped his fist into the air. He leaned over me and yelled, you taking a nap, Fisherman? Is, it, is this nap time at Lake Windsor Middle School? Too bad, you missed my goal. Tino came up behind him, shaking his head. That's no goal, man, that's bogus. Victor turned on him. What are you talking about? That goal counts, no chance. That ball was dead. Yeah, you gonna be dead, you don't shut your mouth. You shut your mouth, chump. Hey, come here and shut it for me. Victor lunged at Victor. Uh, Tino lunged at Victor. They bounced off each other and squared off in a snarling karate kicking scene right above my head. Fernando tried to get between them and break it up, and Maya Anita drifted off out, out of the way. The coach looked up and blew her whistle. She screamed at them. You two didn't learn a thing, did you? Do you need another three days off? Do you need to miss the opening game of the season? The combatants stopped fighting and glared at each other. I see one more punch over there. You two are back on suspension. You hear me? Victor and Tino continued to glare at each other. But the worst of it seemed to be over. The coach blew her whistle again. That's enough for today. Everybody get here early tomorrow. I'm giving out uniforms. I picked myself up from the gra- off the ground and followed everyone off the field. <laughs> When we got to the bus lanes, the old green truck pulled up. Teresa and Dolly got into the front while Tino, Hernando, and Victor piled into the back. All seemed to be forgiven with them. They were already laughing about something, probably about me. When I walked out to the front of the building, I saw Maya and Nita waiting for their ride. I nodded as I walked past them. Maya said to me in a musical to voice, that was an excellent save. Oh, thank you. The goal would not have counted. You had the ball in your grasp. Uh-huh. The whistle would have blown. Thank you. I know better than that, though. I shouldn't have been lying there posing pictures like that. Should have protected the ball. A blue Mercedes pulled up and the two girls got in. Mom pulled up right behind. She said, so are you on the team? Yeah, I think I am. She jerked her head toward the blue Mercedes. Are those two girls on it? Yep. Really? Girls? Are they the only ones? Nope. There are two more. Mom seemed genuinely impressed. How nice to have girls on your team. That's nice. So we drove home. I relived everything that happened at lunchtime and at practice. Every word, every action. I thought it to myself. It's not my team, Mom. Not yet, anyway. Not by a long shot. It's definitely not nice. And it's definitely not nice. But it's where I want to be. Wednesday, September 20th. I got my uniform today. Joey brought his over after supper. We went out back through the patio doors. That was a mistake. It was a bad time to be outside. The muck fire was particularly strong. I could actually see it and feel it and smell it swirling over and into our yard. and it mixed in with it, I could hear the sound, of predator sound. It was the sound of Arthur Bauer's land cruiser on the other side of the back wall. It was the sound of Arthur and Eric Accelerating, breaking, and sliding through the mud on the perimeter road. Should have told Joey to come back inside, but I didn't. We laid our uniforms out on the picnic table side by side so we could compare them. Joey's uniform was brand new. It has light blue socks, white shorts, a light blue jersey. The jersey has a white number 10 on the back and the word seagulls written in cursive across the front. Pretty cool. My uniform has obviously known some previous owners. It has maroon socks and shorts and a gold jersey with a thin maroon stripe on each side. The jersey has a black number five on the back and a round black patch over the heart, hand sewn, that shows a ferocious looking eagle with arrows in its talons. The smoke was starting to get to us, so we gathered up our stuff to go inside. I hadn't noticed that the predator's roar had stopped. Arthur and Eric had quit their mud running and driven around from the perimeter road to our driveway. I usually notice stuff like that, especially where Eric is concerned, but today I didn't. Just as Joey and I turned around from the table, Eric and Arthur entered the backyard through the gate. Arthur ignored us and headed toward the patio door. Eric, carrying all his football gear, swiped at Arthur with his helmet and said, "'Hey, check it out. It's Mohawk Man's brother.' Arthur stopped and stared at Joey. He answered on their cruel wavelength, "'I didn't know Mohawk Man had a brother.' "'Yeah, you did, butthead. The shoes. He was trying to take Mohawk Man's shoes.' The two of them started to laugh. Eric said, "'It's the hair that fooled you. No family resemblance.' Arthur picked up the banter. "'No. No resemblance. None at all. I wonder if he got his money back for those shoes.' Yeah, there was nothing wrong with those shoes. Kid had some money coming. Joey was clearly stunned by this exchange. He had no idea what they were talking about, but I did, and I felt sick with anger. Eric and Arthur continued on through the patio doors, passing through them into Mom's world, changing their ghoulish routine about Mike Costello into one about the National Honor Society, or the student government, or some other bull for Mom's ears. Joey turned to me with a pleading look. He said, "'What are they talking about? Who's Mohawk Man?' "'Forget about it. They're idiots.' "'No, tell me. You obviously know.' Joey was right. I took a deep breath of the smoky air and explained, "'Joey, they're making fun of your brother. They're making fun of Mike when his hair got burned off by the lightning. And they're making fun of you for trying to take his shoes off at the field.' Joey thought for a minute. Then he whispered, "'That's what I thought they were doing.' Sat down on the picnic table bench. Should have punched them out for that. Should have tried anyway. He looked at me. That's what Mike would have done. Mike had guts. He stood up to people when he had to. Joey's voice dropped even lower. Wasn't a coward like me. Hey, you're not a coward. You saved people's lives at the sinkhole, right? This is different. This is personal. It's about me. They knew they could do that to me. They knew I wouldn't do anything back. They're idiots, Joey. And they're just not worth it. You don't see me standing up to them, do you? I just let them be idiots. Joey stared at the wall. I know a lot of those football guys are laughing at me because of what I did, because of the shoes. But I never in a million years thought they were laughing at Mike. Hey, nobody who's worth thinking about is laughing at Mike or at you. Who are you talking about here? Eric? Eric's laughing at everybody. It's all a big joke to him. Arthur Bauer, he's a big zero. But now he's getting his chance, right? He's going to hold the ball for Eric. But he's no Mike Costello. Nowhere near. He doesn't have the talent. He doesn't have the character. So what's he going to do? He's going to mock him. He's going to put him down. He'd never do it to Mike's face, so he's going to do it this way. He's the coward, not you. Joey may or may not have been listening. I don't know. Tears were pouring down his face. He tried to talk through them. I wanted to explain to Coach Warner about the shoes. He, I guess he thought I had cracked up or something. Joey let the sorrow pump out of him now, like blood from an artery. But, but I saw Mike lying there. Maybe I even knew he was dead. I don't know. I had to do something for him somehow. Mike always felt better when he got his shoes off. It's the first thing he did when he came home, always. He took his shoes off, and that's all I was trying to do. He sniffed and sat up straight. It was stupid, but it wouldn't have done him any good. But none of the other stupid things they tried did him any good either, did they? I shook my head. No. I know people are laughing at me. I hate it. I hate the school. I hate that football field. I hate that goalpost. So Why don't you come to Tangerine with me? It's too late now. I'm on the split shift. So, get off the split ship. Get your dad up there. They're afraid of him. Believe me, he'll do anything he says. Joey picked up his uniform and wiped his face in it. What do you mean? Why are they afraid of him? I opened my eyes wide in surprise. It seemed so obvious to me. Your dad's a lawyer? Your brother got killed on their property? In their care? They're afraid he'll sue them. Joey looked at me dumbly and I realized that Costellos weren't thinking anything of the kind. They were mourning Mike, and that was all. I said, sorry, bad idea. I'll shut up. But I could sure use some company at Tangerine. I bet you could. Anybody try to kill you yet? No. Anybody mess with you at all? Nobody who's still alive. Oh, yeah, right. Joey rolled up his uniform into a white, a blue and white ball. Okay, if I hop over your wall? Sure. I just don't want to walk past... He stopped and nodded toward the house. I don't blame you. How are you going to get to your house? I'll go around to the guardhouse. Joey pulled himself up to the top of the six-foot wall. He sat there for a minute before he said, So Tangerine's not that tough? I didn't say that. What about the soccer team? They got some tough guys on on that. Girls, too. Tough girls? No, but they got girls. And they start. Wow. Any chance I'd start? None. You'd stand next to me on the sideline. Joey turned and looked over the wall at the other side. He said, "I'll think about it. See you." And he vaulted down into the middle, uh, into the mud of the perimeter road. Friday, September twenty-second. We played our first soccer game today, an away game against Palmetto Middle School. After seventh period, Tino, Henry, D, and I used the second-floor bathroom to change into our uniforms. We went out the back door to the bus lanes where an old khaki-green bus with a noisy engine and no air conditioning, was waiting. I climbed up the stairs, steps, and slid into the empty seat. Henry D. took the seat across the aisle. Nita and Maya sat together behind him. Victor and his boys were spread out across the back, but no one was talking. Chandra got on, and then Coach Bright, who hopped into the driver's seat. She looked in the rearview mirror and called, Count them, Victor! Victor counted our heads and shouted, Sixteen, coach! Coach closed the bus door, threw it in gear, and pulled away. We drove east past small farms and dead citrus groves, past forests of scrubby-looking pine trees, past a sign that said, the Turpentine, capital of the world. After 30 minutes, we reached a one-block downtown area. We rounded the corner and pulled into the school that looked very much like our own. It must have been built around the same time by the same people. We drove around the back and started and parked in their bus lane, which was exactly like ours. They even had the same baseball diamond and the same green scoreboard. This one said, Palmetto Middle School, home of the wheels. Before she opened the bus door, Coach said, remember who you are. Remember who you represent. Victor, you lead them once around and then meet me at midfield. All right, everybody, let's look like a team. Victor and his gang piled out of the bus and took off at a fast clip toward the field. The rest of us hurried to catch up. I don't know why. Maybe they were mad about having such a wimpy nickname. The guys turned out to be really nasty. So did their fans. The near side of the field was lined with people watching with the Palmetto players warm up. There were middle school kids, of course, but there were also many grown-ups, local people. They turned to us and started jeering as we began our lap around the field. I swear some of them spit at us before we made it to the turn and headed toward the far far side, the visitor's side. We could still hear them yelling nasty stuff behind us. I looked up at Victor. He was totally focused. He didn't seem to be listening to any of it. He led us at a sprint down the far sideline. Then we turned and cut a path through the green uniforms of the Palmetto players. They had some rude things to say to us, especially to the girls formed a circle around the coach at midfield. Now I could see Victor's eyes. They were blazing with rage and the muscles of his face were knotted like a fist. Betty Bright extended her long arm into the circle. Each player put a hand on top of hers. I squeezed in and did the same. She yelled, who are we? And we yelled back, eagles! We? war eagles. Who are we? War eagles. Who are we? War eagles. Betty Bright pulled her arm back and stepped out of the circle. Victor picked up the chant, But all he was screaming was, war, war, war. We all started screaming with him, blocking out the catcalls from the whippoorwills and their fans. War, war, war. In a frenzy that drove away all the fear and intimidation that I felt from our opening lap. Our circle broke up and the game began. There was only one referee, and he didn't seem like he knew too much about soccer. He seemed like a football guy. He lost control of the game in the opening minute, and he never got it back. Of course, it wasn't really a game. It was a war. The Palmetto players got down and dirty right away, and their fans cheered them on. They tripped us, pulled our jerseys, got up in our faces, and pretended to throw punches. Their fans loved it. The longer the referee failed to blow his whistle, the bolder they got, and the more bloodthirsty their fans became. I was standing on the sideline with Betty Bright and the four other kids who weren't playing. Directly behind us, about 20 yards away, was a line of trees. Some kids from the middle school had gathered handfuls of acorns from there. They started throwing them at us and then running back to get more. What could we do except duck? Coach said to us, you stand here by me, all of you, and you, and stand straight up straight. Don't let some fool make you bow your head. The Palmetto team had two full, big fullbacks who couldn't play soccer at all, but who wiped out anybody who got near the goal. They were tripping, throwing elbows, getting away with murder back there. I looked at my teammates, the victims of all this, and was amazed at how calm their faces were. I was the only one who was freaking out. The rest of them had been through it before. They were acting like it was business as usual here at Palmetto Middle School, home of the Whipple So the War Eagles stayed focused and played their game. They controlled the ball. They passed to an open guy or girl. They got the ball to the people who knew how to score. Maya got off two excellent shots, hitting the goalpost once and just missing high with the other one. It was only a matter of time until she found the range and scored, in spite of those menacing fullbacks. Victor hadn't tried a shot yet. Maybe he was too caught up with being the enforcer for our side, with insulting the Whippoorwill's defenders and threatening their lives. Underneath all this ugliness was one fact. We were the better team. We had these guys dead. We played much better soccer, and we played it like a team. Conor Meadow has a few individual players, but they don't work work together. Our fullbacks, Dolly Elias and a big guy named Mano, they call Bano, were able to clear out every ball that came close. Chandra only touched the ball once when Dolly kicked it back to her. Of course, whenever you think things are as bad as they're going to get, they get worse. An afternoon storm came rumbling in. In a matter of minutes, it got cold. Then it got dark. Then the rain started pouring down on the field, turning it into mud. That was the good news for the big fullbacks from Palmetto. They could knock our players flying. Maya, Tino, Henry D, Hernando. All of them were flying through the mud at one time or another. But and still the referees whistle remained silent. The half ended at zero zero. We all ran back to the, our bus to escape from the pelting rain. Betty Bright pulled down a pulled out a brown bag and tossed everyone a tangerine. She spoke to us calmly, like she too had thought had been through this before. Maya, you find yourself a dry spot out there and stay in it. rest of you, get the ball to Maya. I want to see her take 20 shots on goal this half. Victor, we're playing you for a fool out there. Forget about that bad boy stuff and play ball. She waited until Victor responded with a disgusted snort. She continued, but not as calmly. There's no way this team can beat you. You can only beat yourselves, and that's all I have to say. Let's go. The coach opened the bus door. We all waited for Victor to get up and stop to the front. He stopped at the bus steps and looked back at all of us. Then he jumped out into the rain and started running back toward the field, the rest of us right behind. Mercifully, the rain let up in the second half. A Palmetto forward upended Tino right in front of our goal. Tino fell on top of the guy and started punching at his face. Betty Bright ran out onto the field and pulled him off, his arm still punching away at the air. She dragged Tino to our sideline as the remaining Palmetto fans screamed for a foul. Suddenly, the coach was looking straight at me. Paul Fisher, you played anything? Have you ever played anything but goal? I stared at her dumbly. I hadn't played or even thought about playing. Anything but goal for the past two years. But I heard myself, yes, ma'am. I've played soccer since I was six. I guess that was good enough. Because she said, get in there, Patino, Play center forward. The referee responded to the fans. He awarded a penalty kick to Palmetto. A penalty kick is like a free throw in basketball. Only better. Because the coach picks the player who takes it. You really should make it 100% of the time. Your best kicker gets an unobstructed shot at the goalie from just 12 yards away. Chandra got set. Her heels on the goal line, she faced the kicker, the Palmetto captain. The kicker ran up and drove a, lo- a low, hard shot to the left side. Chandra d- dove and got a piece of it, but it hit the inside of the goalpost and rolled in. The kicker threw his arms up in the air. The Palmetto players all came running up and jumped on him. They led one nothing. It took a long time for them to get back into their positions. When they finally did, one of them wiped out Henry D on the wing and then kicked the ball out of bounds. Some kids got a hold of it and kicked it even farther away into the woods. Betty Bright yelled it to the referee. Time's out. Time's out on this play, right? The referee himself wound up getting the ball. When he got back to the field, he yelled over. Five minutes left to play, coach. Dolly threw the ball into Maya, who dribbled it all the way down the right sideline. I ran as hard as I could toward the goal. The defender took off after Maya, who looped the ball over him right to me in front of the goal. I didn't know what happened next. My butt, uh, brain got stuck somewhere between shoot it now and chop a trap it first and sh- then shoot it. Anyway, I swung my leg back to a kick and the ball went rolling right under me, through my legs to the other Palmetto defender who cleared it away. Victor was in my face immediately, his finger nearly stabbing through my chest. He screamed, if we lose this game, you're dead. A minute later, I got another chance to shoot the ball but one palmetto fullback knocked me down and the other kicked it away. I started to get up, but before I could, the fullback stretched out my goggles from my face, scooped up a handful of mud, and smeared it in my eyes. In my eyes! I went berserk. Before he could get away, I scrambled up and jumped on his back. I brought him down and started punching at him blindly, the way I'd seen Tino do it. The whistle started blowing and soon felt the coach's big hands yanking me off of him and dragging me away. I stood next to the coach for the rest of the game, Mud all over me, blood pouring out of my nose, tears pouring out of my eyes. I heard my teammates screaming, so I took off my goggles, cleaned them the best I could, and put them back on. Through the blurry plastic lenses, I watched Victor take the ball through the Palmetto defenders like a wild bull. He fought off one nasty tackle and then another. He lowered his shoulder all at, at the fullback and crashed into him. The Palmetto goalie slid at him. But Victor was too quick. He pushed the ball to the right and vaulted over him, then kicked into the open goal. It was 1-1. Our players didn't celebrate. With one minute left, they lined up and started again. It was an open brawl out there now between some of our guys and some of theirs. But the referee did not blow his whistle. He just wanted to get this over with. Victor called for the ball, and Chandra got it to him with a mighty heave. He fought his way out of the pack at midfield and sprinted straight for the Palmetto goal. Two defenders sandwiched him and threw him off balance, but his momentum carried him on. The fullback hit him with an forearm to the shoulder that sent him sprawling forward, sliding through the mud. Then the fullback kicked the ball back toward his own goaltender, who only had to cradle it and run out the clock. But the ball never got to him. Victor somehow scrambled to his feet in the middle of the mudslide lunged for it, flipping it with his foot. The ball flew up in an arc as Victor and the goaltender smacked heads. The ball bounced once and went in the goal. The referee threw up his arm signaling the goal and shouted, that's it, game's over. Victor staggered back to his feet and stood at the penalty line, the captain of the war eagles, mud coating his entire body, blood streaming down from a cut over his eye. He held out his right fist and we all ran to him put our hands on him, and jumped up and down, chanting, War eagles, war eagles, and war, 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 in a frenzy. We ran in a pack, whooping and screaming and pounding on each other until we got back to the bus. I looked out the window and saw the acorn throwers had turned their attention to the referee, who was desperately trying to unlock his car. We heard some acorns hit the roof of the bus as Coach called out, How many heads, Victor? Victor pulled off his shirt to tie it around his bleeding forehead, scanned quickly, and yelled, 16, coach! And we pulled out of there, faster than the 5 miles per hour sign allowed. On the ride home, Victor smacked me on the back of the head and said, Hey, fisherman, sorry I got on your case like that. No problem, Victor. You're right. I should have had it. Yeah, yeah, shut up. Just saying I'm sorry. I know that playing goal is your thing. I get pumped up, you know? Yeah, I know. You were great out there. Sure I was. But I saw you playing hard out there, too. And I saw you get a piece of that fullback. Victor paused. When he continued, he was no longer bragging. He was dead serious. Listen, Fisherman. Here it is. If you're going to play with us, then you're going to play with us. Do you understand? I nodded. If you're a war eagle, then you're a war eagle. You got brothers to back you up. Nobody's going to mess with you. Not any place. Not any time. Do you know what I'm saying? I looked into Victor's fierce, dark eyes and nodded some more. To return to the back of the bus, leaving me sitting in a kind of a daze. Did I hear him? Oh, yeah, I heard him all right. I heard his words clearer than any words I'd ever heard before. And I do believe I know what he was saying. Friday, September 22nd. Later, Joey called me after dinner and announced, I'm coming to your school on Monday. Whoa, what happened? I took your advice. I went to the office with Dad. You were right. Mrs. Gates came out all smiles, you know. She shook dad's hand and she said, tell me what I can do for you. And what did she say? I didn't say anything. My lawyer did all the talking. Basically, she did whatever we said. You said jump and she said how high? Exactly. She went in herself and got my folder out of the files. Dad asked her to put a note in there saying I should have all the same classes as you. She did that. She said she was more than happy to. Then we went, to find Coach Walski, to give him the uniform back. How was he? Not cool. He started telling me I shouldn't leave, that I wouldn't be allowed to play at Tangerine Middle because I live in Lake Windsor District. But dad was ready for him. He cut him right off and said, we'll see about that, wait here. He said that, so we hustled back over to the office. Dad had Gates write a letter giving me special permission to play soccer at Tangerine Middle School. All right, then we took, him, took it back to Walski. My dad stuck it under his nose and made him sign it. Awesome, what did he say? Not a word, not one word. Joey paused. Then he continued awkwardly. So, uh, you think you'll be able to show me around on Monday? My mouth opened up to answer him, but I couldn't. I couldn't see myself leading Joey around the halls at Tangerine Middle School. That had to be somebody else's job. I said, I'll tell you what I'll, what you should do. When you get to the office, ask to see Dr. Johnson, Right? Then ask her to let Teresa Cruz take you around. Joey repeated the name like he was writing it down. Teresa Cruz? Why? Is she cute or something? I hesitated. Yeah, I guess she's kind of cute. That's not it. She's connected. A Tangerine, it's all about being connected. Joey said, "Uh uh-huh. But I don't think he understood. Then he said, what about the soccer team? What are those guys like? That was a good question. I didn't have an answer to it. Not yet. I finally said, they're super focused on the game, you know, on winning, like it's life or death tip for them. And Joey, once again, repeated my words, life or death. Okay, I can handle that. I'll see you on Monday.